I love Christmas. And we came up this, with this series, and we talked about this last week, but in case you weren't here, we called it Don't Open Till Christmas, because I think all of us have experienced this kind of like anxiousness that exists from when we have to wait for something. You know, maybe perhaps there is something uh, you know, on the way in the mail, or you ask for something for Christmas, or it's under the tree. And ultimately, knowing that you can't open it until Christmas, knowing that you're having to wait, is worse than like, you know, maybe perhaps like if it was just a surprise and you didn't know that it was there and you, and you want it now and you want to open it. And the reason why we went about it this way is because ultimately when we looked at the example set by God, it was the same. That when God gave Jesus as a gift to humanity, he did it in a way where he had humanity wait. And as we talked about last week, I mean, he had them wait much longer than a few months or a few days, like it's hard for us to wait for Christmas. He had them wait for hundreds of years. And so when we talked about, man, why would we basically paint the story of Christmas in this light of waiting for a gift to arrive? Because ultimately that was the example that was set by God. And so I was thinking in my life, you know, in years past, Christmases past, what was like that great gift that I hoped for, wanted, waited for? And I recalled a year, uh, 1997 to be exact. For those of you who don't know, 1997 existed before the 2000s. The 90s happened before the 2000s, I understand. A lot of y'all don't even know that there was a timeline before the 2000s. There was, I promise you. But in December of 1997, prior to that a little bit, I've been pleading for a PlayStation. Now, a PlayStation, for those of you who don't know, preceded the PlayStation 4, 3, and 2. They started with the PlayStation. Now, the PlayStation was incredible. You know, 4K graphics, it did it all. It was the best system of all time. But I wanted it so bad. And so I asked for a PlayStation. And sure enough, on Christmas morning, as I come down from the stairs in our little house, and I walk around the little landing, there under the tree is the PlayStation. And I knew right away that it was the PlayStation because in our house, Santa doesn't wrap his gifts. So under the tree was an unwrapped PlayStation. Uh. It included in this PlayStation, this is just a little side note, was the game that came with this PlayStation was NASCAR 98. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but for whatever reason, that became like the staple game of our household. Like, I remember, even to this day, there's this song called Flirting with Disaster that, like, was the theme song for the, for the game. And so, like, still burned in my head is, I'm traveling down the road and I'm flirting with disaster. It's like this country rock song. It's by this band called Molly Hatchet. I had to look it up. But what I found out is that Molly Hatchet is from Jacksonville. That's just a little trivia for you. They existed in the 70s, which preceded even the 90s, I know. Can't even imagine. But while the PlayStation had arrived, I think Santa made a little bit of a mistake. You see, I am the youngest of two older brothers, and I don't know that Santa can count well because one PlayStation with one controller does not split three ways. And forever of my PlayStation's life, I was not first player. And in fact, I had to alleviate this issue on my own by going and purchasing another controller. And so I went to uh, Rhino Video Games. They were before GameStop. Uh, But Rhino Video Games, and I went in, and there was these controllers on the wall. And some of them were less expensive than, like, the PlayStation brand controllers. I was like, oh, like, why wouldn't I save money? And so I bought a controller from a company called Mad Cats. Now, if you are a video gamer, you maybe have heard of this company and you're already rolling your eyes. Mad Cats is like the further proof in my life that we live in a fallen world. Mad Cats products are terrible. 
But I didn't know that going into it. Like, literally, they're made from a plastic that feels lighter than normal plastic. Like, there's a part of you that felt like you were going to crush the controller in your hand as you played. And, like, on a controller, like, the buttons from a PlayStation controller are, like, are in a specific spot. Like, you have, like, X, circle, triangle, square. But on a Mad Cat's controller, it's like, X, circle, Triangles on the backside. Square doesn't exist. There's an extra joystick and a button for menu. Like, extra things that did nothing. And so needless to say, playing on the Mad Cat's controller was a huge deficit. Nobody wanted to be the Mad Cat's controller, but I always had to play with the Mad Cat's controller because I'm the youngest brother. But in spite of all that, the PlayStation was awesome. It was great. It brought us together. It tore us apart. It was the best thing ever. And I hoped for it, and it happened. And last week, we kind of talked about this whole thing called prophecies. And prophecies are these times where God speaks to man and basically says, like, like, this is what's going to happen. Be ready for it. And then we looked at the point in Scripture where it did happen. We talked about a passage from Isaiah in chapter 9 where it kind of refers to Messiah, Jesus, as this light that was to come. And then sure enough, in John, we look to this point where when Jesus arrived, he was described as this light, a light for all mankind, a light that came to defeat the darkness. And in so doing, we saw that that prophecy was fulfilled. And so tonight's going to be a lot like that. We're going to look at a prophecy again from Isaiah and look at some scripture in the New Testament that ultimately points to it being fulfilled. But the exciting thing about tonight for me is we're going to spend a lot of time, a lot more time, much closer to Jesus' physical birth, like in the timeline from when he was said he was going to come until he actually came. We're, like, we're talking about those nine months prior to Jesus' arrival. And much like church lady let us know, we're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were Jesus' parents. So before we kind of get too far into it, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll get started. So if you would, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts tonight, God. God, that we would come here knowing, God, that we would allow nothing to stand in the way between our attention, God, in your presence. God, not the neighbor sitting to the right of us, not the cell phone in our pocket. Yet ultimately, God, that we would understand that there is a point at which we honor your presence, God, by coming here and being fully engaged. So, God, I ask that you would change and challenge hearts tonight. God, that we would leave different than we arrived, closer to you, God, ultimately what you've done in our heart, God, would change us forever. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. So a little bit of context. So like I said, we're going to be talking out of Isaiah again. And if you want to go ahead and get there as I'm getting there, uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. So again, we talked about this last week, that these prophecies in Isaiah came before Jesus by like 700 years. And that's so insane to me that basically we talked about this last week, that God called his shot 700 years before Jesus arrived. And tonight's no different. We're talking about a passage again from Scripture that predates Jesus by like 700 to 800 years. And in this chapter, chapter, Isaiah chapter 7, we get this verse in verse 14. And it says like this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel means God with us. So again, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So, as I prepared for this topic and what we're talking about tonight, 
some major questions began to surface in my mind because if I was building a case, like God is building a case that we're about to see where he's going to put his own reputation in line by saying something's going to happen, in my mind, I would do it differently than he does. Because the ways that God chooses to do the things that he chooses to do, like by any other means would set him up most for failure. He navigates this, this realm of possibility that's so, so tiny that basically only he can do it. And that first kind of like speed bump or, or limiting factor, whatever you want to call it to me, is happening right here because he says he's going to give him a sign that's going to come from a virgin. And so my first question is, why not keep it broad? Why say that the Messiah was going to come from a virgin? You see, I don't know if you know much about human anatomy, but it kind of requires intercourse for reproduction. Like, if I was to have a son or a daughter, it meant that I had sexual intercourse with a female who gave birth to my son or daughter. But in the circumstance we're talking about right here, God's saying, no, 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 there's a different way. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to tell you all this, but there's going to be a person who's never had sex, who's going to give birth, and she will have never had sex even after she got pregnant. Like, He's setting himself up in such a narrow margin. And I just can't understand, like, why not keep it broader? Why not, why not give himself a little bit of wiggle room there? You see, I think we love to work in generalities. Like, we say things like, oh, maybe, or possibly, or I'll try. That way, when we come up short or don't show up when we were supposed to, ultimately, it's not necessarily on our reputation. Or we can say, oh, yeah, like, I'm sorry, like, I did try. I know I, I, didn't, I didn't make it there, but I did try. You didn't know that I tried, but I tried. You know, I think we, like, we just love to basically <laughs> lie. And I laugh at that because I genuinely like to lie. And I don't, I don't mean to say that in a way that like, I don't lie to be mean or take advantage of people. I lie because I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy getting people to you know, nibble on the cheese, so to speak. My mom can personally attest to this. She said, at Thanksgiving, and I quote, Cole, I don't know if I can believe a single thing you say. And I feel like my mission is accomplished. But I love to lie. And what I found, though, is that in a lie, you've got to be careful of giving too many details. Because one time in college, I was hanging out, with some friend, hanging out with some friends, and some other friends joined in. They were like, you know, mutual friends. So, like, I didn't know them really well, but we each knew the middle person. And they, so, she, you know, it's a couple of girls, and we're chatting. And she's like, oh, like, I've heard about you. Like, tell me a little bit about you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so crazy that we're meeting today. Like, I just got engaged last weekend. Sidebar. Didn't get engaged. Of course, this is a lie, okay? So this is how it starts, though. You say, oh, yeah, I got engaged last weekend. And then, then you know, they bite. And they say, oh, my gosh, tell, what, what happened? How'd you do it? What, what do you mean you're engaged? And so I spin this long story about how, you know, we rode out onto a lake. I paddled on this paddle boat. And it was a wooden paddle boat, which is a little bit different than maybe you've seen before. But it was a wooden paddle boat, giving all these extra details. We get out there, and it's the sun setting. You know, 6.30 p.m., if you wanted to know, 6.30 p.m. was when it was setting. Um, all of a sudden, these lanterns floated out onto the lake, much like you saw Entangled, probably. I had all these lanterns. Where did you get the lanterns? Oh, I ordered from Amazon. Not a big deal. Two-day shipping. No big deal. Had some friends. It was awesome. I told her about my love for her and our love for our future, and it was magical, and she said yes. And about this time, I'm, I'm searching for that next, that next detail, and I realized as I looked down at my finger, I'm not wearing an engagement ring. Sidebar, guys don't wear engagement rings, typically. But I don't realize this. And so I go, yeah, and I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I'm not wearing my engagement ring. You know, I'm having it resized. And the girl's like, huh? 
I was like, yeah, I'm having my engagement ring resized. She's like, what do you mean your engagement ring? I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I met my girlfriend. She's like, I thought you were engaged. I mean, my, 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 my fiance, I'm sorry. And at that point, I was caught. All because I made it too narrow. And I ultimately tripped myself up by not keeping it broad. And so I don't understand, like, why God wouldn't keep it broad. Why wouldn't he give himself some room to be a little bit wrong? So, like, he would say, hey, I'm going to send a Messiah. And people are like, oh, when is, where, you know, when's he going to come? Just someday. Well, like, will we know where he's going to be from? Yeah, somewhere. It'll, it'll, it'll happen. You'll know. But he doesn't do that. We'll see that he's very specific with his prophecy over Jesus. And so we're going to flip now to the time that this prophecy is revealed. And we're going to flip to the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are all gospels. They are all stories of Jesus' of life. Of Jesus's life. Have you ever thought to yourself that you want to know more about who Jesus was? Man, read one of those books. And if you're trying to find a book of those to read, please read Luke. It's great. But since these are the stories of Jesus' life, it's easy to find the beginning of Jesus' life because we just start at the beginning of the books. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at how this prophecy was finally answered. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. One second. So obviously, we understand right away that these are some key factors. We got a virgin. Check. Check one, right? But a crazy thing to me, and again, these are things that maybe seem like unnecessary. Like that line, a descendant of David, is another prophecy that we haven't even read tonight. That there was all these things that were limiting factors that said the Messiah was going to come from the household of David. That he was going to be born in Bethlehem, which he was, was predicted prior to his arrival. And so we know, again, like since they would be so familiar, the people back then would be so familiar with those prophecies, they would be so familiar with seeing them play out like they are right here. We continue reading. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So you want to pause right there as well. Because... So many times in scripture, you'll see that when an angel comes down and speaks to man, the very first thing they have to take care of is saying, hey, 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 whoa, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I think it's kind of a funny thing that maybe we don't realize, or maybe we don't understand why they would have to say that. And for me, the example comes from a a previous time in scripture as well of why perhaps the angels would be so terrifying. You see, in the Old Testament, there was this dude named Moses Maybe some of y'all are familiar with who he is. But ultimately, he freed the Jewish people out of Egyptian rule. He is the one that led them through the desert. He's the one where we got the Ten Commandments from. So in that time when he was getting the Ten Commandments, he existed up on a mountaintop with God. He existed in God's presence for days. And they just talked. God said, man, it's great, man. You're doing this great. And Moses was like, yeah, I appreciate it, man. And God's like, and you're going to do this too. And Moses was like, yeah, I can't wait to do that too. They're kind of just, you know, broing it up. And Moses says, hey, man, like, I tell you what, I want to see you. 
I want to see you, God. I want to see you in person. I want to see your glory. And God is like, well, you can't. Like, if you saw me, if you saw my face, you would die. I'm just telling you that much. But I tell you what, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out a way. And so literally, you can read this in Scripture. God says, okay, you know what, Moses? I'm going to put you over here by this rock. I'm going to cover your eyes with my hand. I'm going to begin to walk away. And when I get far enough away, I'm going to take away my hand, and you can just kind of look at my backside. And the craziest thing happens because Moses comes back down from the mountain, and all of a sudden the people he's been leading around the desert for all these years are terrified of him. He's glowing. He's literally radiating God's glory from just looking at God's backside. So imagine beings like angels who exist in God's presence all the time. Like, it would be just nuclear. It would just be glowing radiance beyond understanding. Like, that's why they always have to tell them not to be afraid. But we read on. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of God, Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, Jacob's descendants, father of David, like all these are just prophecies being answered. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel must have said, funny you should ask. It requires a virgin. She's a virgin. She can't understand how this is possible. And for me, that brings me to my next question. Why use a virgin? Why use an angel? Like both of those are like personal checkups. Like if I say that I am a virgin, it's based off of my own like truth. Like if I say I'm a virgin... You can't necessarily, like, test that I'm a virgin. There's not something that is, like, it, it leaves it open to people to refute it. And the same thing with an angel. Like, an angel appeared only to Mary. It's not like the angel went around to all of Bethlehem and Nazareth. It's like, hey, by the way, like, there's going to be this virgin. She's going to get pregnant. Just, like, want to let y'all know. Okay, just so y'all are aware. But, no, God, like, from the very beginning, set it up in a way that I think so perfectly illustrates Trust, like faith, like believing in him. Because for me to buy in to the fact that Mary was a virgin and buy in to the fact that Mary was visited by an angel, like that already sets my heart up to be receptive to what God would have for me next and to believe in the truths and to trust that he did all the things that he said that he did. See, from the very beginning, God sets it up in a place that can be refuted because ultimately the people who decide for themselves that it was true, they really believe it. They didn't have the same experience. They didn't get to talk to an angel. They didn't have God create a child inside of them. They didn't have the firsthand experience. And so if I was doing it differently, I wouldn't use a virgin. I wouldn't use an angel. I would use something that was irrefutable. If I was sitting by my side, I was like, okay, uh, there will be a bright green mountain with, you know, thrusters on the bottom. It will be hovering above the world by a jet pack. You'll know it when you see it. Trust me. But he doesn't do that. He, he does it in a way that's based on word of mouth, based on somebody's experience. We read on verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. A unique thing that's happening for here, for me, is another thing that happens very often in Scripture. Is that God has to create an illustration that we can understand. Like Jesus did this all the time. He spoke in these things called parables. And these were ways that he could dumb it down just enough that we could understand God's love, character, enough. Like if Jesus came and just said like, oh, hey, God is this. And whatever he said after the word this, we couldn't comprehend it because we are human. Our our brains are too small. We can't comprehend how good God is. And so God has to do these things where he relates it in a way that we can understand. And what he chooses to do here, he says, hey, Mary, I understand your concerns. You're a virgin. How can a virgin give birth to a child without having sex? He says, well, it just so happens that your cousin Elizabeth, who couldn't have a child, is having a child. So if you need to know why this is possible or how this could be, verse 37 is your answer. For no word from God will ever fail. Now Mary's response in this last verse, for me, is like, the sub-message to what we're talking about tonight. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Man, Mary's willingness to submit to something that she doesn't even understand is by far the biggest, like, come on to my own relationship with God. Like, I ask God to tell me what this step is that's like two inches in front of me, and if he doesn't, there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, well, then I'm not going to go there. But Mary takes this account from an angel and says, you know what, fine, we'll go with it. We'll go with me taking the ridicule for the next nine months. Like, I'm going to be around my family, and I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I don't know if you heard, uh, the Son of God is inside my stomach right now, and actually, I'm still a virgin. And they're like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're not lying, Mary. Yeah, oh, yeah, Mary got knocked up. Like, all these things would be murmurs around her family. Her reputation would be tarnished. But ultimately, she was willing to face all of that because she believed so confidently in God's plan that she was willing to submit to her own pride, her own self-preservation. And perhaps for some of y'all in the room tonight, that's like the thing that God wants to teach you the most, is that his plan is far bigger than our own reputation. But you can see here in this this section out of Luke that a virgin was required and Mary was a virgin. That if the Messiah was to be born of a virgin, this perhaps could be it. And we're going to look again at another account. This one's out of Matthew. Also in chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Messiah came about, in case you wanted to know. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her public to, to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. So I want to pause there as well because What's happening here in this, I mean, it seems so ridiculous to our time now. But for a woman to be pregnant with a child that did not belong to her husband was completely outside the law. And ultimately, like, she could have been stoned to death. 
Like if word had gotten out that Mary had gotten pregnant, and again, no one's going to believe it's from God. They're going to believe that she was sleeping around. That Joseph had the right to divorce her in a way that ultimately set her up to be stoned. And for me, like again, like if you would fall in love with the word, you begin to connect these dots that crazily impact your relationship with God. Because what for me that connects to is years later, Jesus as a man would rescue a woman who would be caught in adultery in a very similar circumstance that perhaps Mary could have found herself in had Joseph not handled it the way that he handled it. And you can almost believe that Jesus, in the way that he handles this woman that was caught in adultery, is the same way God would have stood before Mary even back then. In this story where this woman is caught in adultery, and like, when we use the term caught in, she was like in the middle of it. And they found her in the middle of it. It wasn't like, hey, like, by the way, last week that girl did something wrong. We need to go arrest her. It's like, no, no, no. She's in the act of adultery. And she's drug out in the street. And they, and Jesus knows this. Like, they put him to a test. They're saying, you know, hey, like, this lady is caught in adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, in all of his love, and we have to understand that God detests sin. And what she did was sinful. But Jesus came to, to fix sin, to make it right again, to ultimately forgive. And so Jesus' response is, okay, yeah, you're right. She should be stoned. I'll tell you what, though. Whoever has not messed up, y'all can throw the first one. I'll give you the big rock. Yeah, you can throw the big rock if you haven't messed up. And one by one, they all leave because they all have messed up. And the only person who stands there left is Jesus, who is the only person who had any right to throw a rock. And his response is the lover anyway. To say, go on and sin no more. He does not, he says, has anybody condemned you? Well, then neither do I. And so Jacob, or Joseph, um, was thinking he was going to divorce her quietly. Because like, man, I don't want to drag her through all that. But it says, verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Verse 22 and 23, in case you haven't made the connection just yet. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In case you didn't connect the dots yet, Matthew was telling you plainly right here, this is the answer to Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So as I was getting ready to talk about this tonight, Probably the, the heaviest question for my heart, and ultimately me deciding my answer for it or how I feel about it, has completely redefined my understanding of how much God loves us. Like, completely taken it to a new depth, a new understanding. My final question of why God chose to do it the way that he chose to do it is why use man? Why would he use man to play any part in this process. And I understand like Jesus did it all. But like why even involve us? 
Like I think about in college, we used to have these things called group projects. Y'all might already have group projects in high school or middle school, but regardless of you having them or not, they are terrible. Because without fail, somebody comes up short on what they're supposed to do as a part of their group project. Like, hey, like I'm going to cover chapters one through four, and it comes time for y'all to kind of do the checkup of the group. Like, hey, where are we all at? Dude who's supposed to do one through four hasn't even started. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I've just been so busy. You're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to do your work now for you. And every time for me, like, my response is the same. Because, like, as soon as they realize that they have, like, come up short, they're so, like, amped and willing to try to fix it. They're like, oh, no, like, I can come by today. Like, we can get it all done. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, we'll make it work. And my response is always the same. You know what, dude? You're right, man. We're, we got it. We'll take care of it. No big deal. Because, like, no part of me wants the person who failed this to be a part of fixing this. Like, my hope is that, you know, you would actually probably play no part in any future project with me either because, quite frankly, you failed. You're out. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need your help. Your help would probably make it worse. Why would God use man? We're broken, lustful, irresponsible, Ultimately, we are to blame for our own separation from God. Like way back when, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God, but they chose to betray his trust, to act outside of his will. And the gap that exists between us and God is thick, or has been created ultimately because of our own decisions. Now, God, he knew we would. And so again, like Jesus fixes it, but he chooses to let us be a part of it. It's funny, it's like God chose to use the Mad Cat's controller and still wins the game. Like he chose the deficit of working alongside us. He chose to win from a losing team. And for me, the answer to all of these, why not keep it broad? Why use a virgin and an angel? Why use man? Because each of these combined with probably many other reasons ultimately set God up for his biggest display of glory of all time. That he knows what it's like to create that suspense, to rise from the ashes, so to speak. And so God took the very least and made it the very most. Because in so doing, his glory is the most revealed. I think for a lot of us tonight, if you haven't made the dots, or if you haven't connected the dots in your own heart, is you don't realize that the prophecy that spoke of Jesus to come was also spoke, speaking of the thousands of years later when you would sit in the exact seat that you're sitting in. See, we talked from the passage from John last week where it said that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that God has been there since it all started. Well, since it all started, he knew that you would be here tonight. He knew that everything that he did up until this point, to this night, was working to get you in this seat. And I don't mean to like over-intensify, but like literally, he was planning from the beginning of time for you to be here. We use these terms to describe God that ultimately keep it broad enough that it like in some way encapsulates him. We talk about him being omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, omniscient, that he's all-knowing, omnipresent, that he is everywhere. Like God exists outside of our scope of understanding. 
He has no size. He's not even just big. He just has no size. And so thousands, millions of years ago, he knew you'd be sitting where you're sitting. And he knew that he was working to this point, ultimately for you to have a chance to know him. Like not even that it was for sure. Like he gave up his son for the chance. And so tonight I'm going to give you that chance. And for those of you in the room that maybe have never received God or received this forgiveness or understand that Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you've never come to that conclusion for yourself, I want, God wants to give you the chance. And so if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's you, if you know that God or if you think that God has been working all the way up into this point, and you can feel it right now because it's stirring in you, I want you to pray with me and, I, and understand this. Like, my words are not special. This decision could be made at any point. You can make it tomorrow. But if you're planning to make it later, why not make it now? So again, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for on the count of three. One, two, three. I want you to pray with me. The Bible describes it as such, is that if you believe in your heart that Christ Jesus is the Lord and confess in your mouth that he is risen, that you'll be saved. So God, I invite you into my heart. God, I acknowledge my failure. I acknowledge the sin and the separation that I caused. God, ultimately, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for you to redeem me, save me, rescue me. God, to set me alongside you forevermore. Amen. And so if you just prayed that, my biggest hope, for first of all, like, Those scary angels we talked about, they're throwing a party right now in heaven, screaming your name because they're so excited that for 2,000 years they've been waiting for your moment that just came. And they're celebrating it. And they're celebrating it in community, and it's the same way that we want to do. We want to celebrate it in community. And so I would challenge you, if you just prayed that tonight, to go see somebody in the Connect afterwards tonight, just during this last couple songs. Just find your way back there. And the reason why we do that, number one, we want to surround you and equip you and congratulate and support you. But ultimately what I found in my own life is a decision that I made or make that I only include myself in. I'm so much more willing to forego that decision or give up on that decision. Like if I say I'm going to start eating healthier, but I only say it to myself, there's nobody to check up on that. But if you say to your friend, hey, you know, keep me accountable, I'm going to start eating healthier. And then two weeks later, you're like three pieces of pizza in. They're like, what are you doing, man? I thought you were eating healthy. You're like, ah, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Forgot that I was doing that. Thank you for reminding me. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. We want to bring other people in because we want to walk with them towards God. And for the rest of us in this room, the response tonight looks like this. If you'll go to that last verse from Luke. For no word from God will ever fail. And I think for lives in the room, whether it's something you're hoping towards or feeling like will never be true, 
You need to hear this. Look with it towards look towards it with anticipation. Like for 800 years, people looked for the Messiah to come with anticipation and hope, and ultimately he arrived. And so I know there's some things in your life you're being like, I cannot wait until, you know, this is true. I can't wait till I'm reading my Bible every day. I can't wait till I'm married. I can't wait till my relationship is restored here. Or maybe you're on the other end and you feel like, man, I cannot wait or I don't believe that I will ever not struggle with this. Like this will always be true in my life. I'm, I'm just too far gone. I failed. It's, it's, it's a non-issue. Like I can't, I can't even begin to work towards that. In either circumstance, you need to hear this, that no word from God will ever fail. And the words that God has spoken on your heart are all in the Bible. They all say the same thing, that he loves you, that he chose you, that he was your first thought, that all the pain of losing a son was worth gaining you. And so you're not forgotten by any means, not even for a second. In all those 2,000 years, he has not thought or not forgotten about you for a second. And so whether that's you coming up to the altar, excited, knowing that God is still working towards that thing that you're pumped for, or if it's you coming up here broken, knowing that the thing you're struggling with will not always be true of your heart, or always be true of your life, because God has said so. Respond however God is, is working on you. Let's stand and sing.